your favorite cartoon characters will help you understand how drugs and alcohol can ruin your life. So watch the program. Talk about it with your family. everyone welcome to special presentation with mike and ethan or elf will not be seen tonight tonight we are taking another break from comic strips or are we there's a interesting uh connection here that i will be bringing up later but tonight we are visiting the land of weird nostalgia that has become somewhat infamous uh, for its uh, unfamiliarity for a lot of people. But this is a movie that I was a big fan of as a kid, and I still am to an extent, partially because it is it has a lot in common with the movie that I call my absolute favorite. It's The Adventures of Mark Twain, directed by Will Vinton, which is also known in the UK, at least, as Comet Quest. Uh, well, I guess there is a comet in it, so yeah. But when you say Comet Quest, they'd be like, oh man, that's my favorite uh, Sierra video game. <laughs> and, you, and it's like, no, it's about Mark Twain on a, on a balloon. It's like, oh, okay, I guess. <laughs> Adventures well, I of Mark know, Twain be... is more, it gives you a better sense of what you're in for, I think. Yeah, that all the same, I think that would be a pretty good Sierra game. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it could be, uh, it sounds like it could be educational, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, this this movie is very educational because basically as much of it as possible is by Mark Twain. Almost, you know, as much of the dialogue and, you know, even some of the descriptions come directly from his pen. I learned more Mark Twain from the special than in uh, 12 years of school. <laughs> I, well, in school, they they really tap dance around Mark Twain, you know, because they they don't want to say the names of one of his most memorable characters and one of his most infamous characters. Yeah, we'll just we'll just call them Jim and Joe. <laughs> yeah, though we actually didn't read those. Oh, we read uh, Puddinghead Wilson. Yeah, I think I think Puddinghead Wilson gets uh, mentioned in in this somewhere, but I don't remember. I don't remember where, but a lot of this actually comes from uh, comes from quotes from Puddinghead Wilson, as I recall. Did you did you hear anything that sounded familiar? Not really. As soon as I finished Puddinghead Wilson, I immediately forgot everything about it because I really hated it. Yeah. <laughs> I was not <laughs> a fan of Puddinghead Wilson. First of all, Puddinghead Wilson himself hardly plays a part in the whole stupid thing. He he's like he appears at the beginning <laughs> and uh, he's like, "Hey, I'm a guy. I love uh, fingerprints because you know fingerprints are you know no two fingerprints are the same." And people are like, "What a dumb dumb." He's like a Puddinghead. We should call him Puddinghead Wilson. And like, then in the end, he shows He's up again. He's like a pudding head. Yeah, but then in the end, after like spending the entire novel dealing with other characters, Puddinghead Wilson returns and says, "Aha! I'm gonna fingerprint this to discover the answer to the mystery." And then the the book ends, and it's like, "Oh well, he was in this for literally two paragraphs." Good job, <laughs> Mark Twain. You should have called it Comet Quest. That would have been more accurate. <laughs> 
Anyway, sorry. Uh, we were speaking of uh, uh, Mark Twain. Yes, Mark Twain. Yes, the uh, the Adventures of Mark Twain is a compilation of several of his writings, including uh, the one of the best known ones, the celebrated jump, Jumping Frog of Calaveras County, The Mysterious Stranger, which was not published until after his death, and The Diaries of Adam and Eve, which I, I think are best known for being part of this story. Yeah, um, the, these are, well, you know, I'm not sure what you would count besides, well, Mar um, Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer are usually the things I think of when I think of Mark Twain. So none of these other things really strike me as uh, Twain's most famous works or, or the greatest hits of Twain. But Yeah, it's, it's like deep said, cuts for the fans. Yeah, though, like I said, I've only ever read Puddinghead Wilson, so I'm not exactly a real Twain head. So uh, I probably should. <laughs> I have a I buddy, be my saying, name is Twain Head, got a hat on my head and the color is red. <laughs> I shouldn't be all like, yeah, I can I can speak authoritatively on uh, which Mark Twain stories are, you know, the, uh, the biggest hits because I know so much about him. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't know about Mark Twain. I could I could write a movie called The Adventures of Ambrose Bierce. Oh, that would be pretty have... cool. <laughs> uh, well, it... there'd be a balloon and they'd be being stalked on it by the damned thing. And <laughs> but they can't see it. Yeah, they can't see it. They're, you know, be, because, you know, the human eye is an imperfect instrument. There are colors that we cannot see. God help me, the damned thing is of such a color! You know, that is pretty cool, but, like, I have to say, after reading Damned Thing, when it when he explains when the damned thing is in front of the guy, and it's like, oh, I, I can't see the guy because the damned thing is in front of it. What do you mean you can't see the guy? Oh, the damned thing is blocking it. The damned thing is invisible! You can see through it! That's how invisibility well, works! Jesus Christ, well, maybe Ambrose it's just Pierce. kind of like uh, I, I think I, of that I, as I being guess, like when you use the use the Photoshop pinch filter. I think yeah, it's how, it's the way he describes it. I think it's like oh, it's like the Predator, you know? Yeah, something like that. Actually, yeah, the Predator really is just a damn thing when you think about it. Oh, yeah. I I guess somebody made my movie for me. <laughs> well, I'm sure Ambrose Bierce did other stories other than just that one. Yeah, but I mostly know him for that and the Devil's Dictionary. Oh yeah. Well, uh, I think. Yeah, that I think they should make that into a trend where you just take classic authors and like put them on a balloon with a bunch of random stories that they did. Yeah, that that would be a good way of exp exposing kids to uh, some of the deep cuts of uh, classic literature. Well, I don't know about uh, the about the adventures of Lewis Carroll though. <laughs> yeah, Ooh, might be a little problematic. <laughs> All right. Anyway, our movie, uh, The Adventures of Mark Twain. First of all, if we didn't mention it before, this is a full claymation feature. And that is absolutely the star of the show is, you know, Will Vinton making a movie all on his own, his own way, all in clay. So do we uh, know anything about the backstory of this movie? I, I looked on Wikipedia and it didn't really say very much. Um. Not well. Uh, one thing that is very interesting about it, to me at least, is that it was made in parts, because before the movie itself was created, they made the Diaries of Adam and Eve as a TV special, and then hmm. they built the rest of the movie around it. So oh. they they made part of the movie to fund the rest of the movie. 
That's interesting. Um, yeah, if, if only Richard Williams had thought of that. Yeah, I was wondering because when I when I started watching it, I was like, "Oh, it's a TV special, right? It's going to be about twenty minutes, and it's it's an hour and a half." So I was like, yes, "Wait, it's a full length feature." Yeah, is this a real movie? Did it go to theaters? What's the deal? But yeah, uh, it was in theaters. Oh wow. Um, well, you know, it is interesting what went to theaters in nineteen eighty five because <laughs> I, I, that makes it sound like this is bad. It's not. It's just when you watch it, it does not feel like a theatrical movie because it's kind of a series of vignettes uh, that, that vaguely yeah. play together. So uh, I guess maybe like you don't see a lot of, I don't know, I guess I guess it's an anthology movie sort of. Yeah. With, uh-huh. with a good frame story, but. Um, yeah, it does not have the, you know, kind of save the cat rhythm of uh, where we follow a character through their transformation. Nobody really is changed by this, do you think? No, not really. Um, but I, this this was back when movies were made by fallible human and not the beautiful algorithm. So <laughs> tended to be a little more rambling back then. Uh, it's yes. hard to believe like things like, you know, the G.I. Joe movie and the My Little Pony movie went to theaters back then because they have a very similar feel to them where they just kind of feel like long rambling TV specials. Well, part of that might be because often they got chopped up and made into episodes of the show. Oh, that is true. I do remember that. That was what they did with Transformers the movie. Season five was just like three new episodes and then the rest of it was Transformers the movie chopped up into episodes. Well, you got to see uh, Orson Welles again. <laughs> oh, for one brief shining moment, Orson Welles was with us again. <laughs> Man, uh, what if they made a new Transformer and it was just a guy in a costume? <laughs> <laughs> I always wanted that. I, I'll tell you, I always, I always wish that they would make like inflatable Transformer costumes that you could take apart and uh, assemble into a car or something. <laughs> like like those uh, Tyrannosaurus costumes that people have now? Yes, exactly. Maybe a little more modular, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, um, I, I've never seen The Adventures of Mark Twain before this. Or rather, I've never seen the full movie. I've seen the bit that everyone knows about from the internet. That, you know, all the all the nostalgic critic ripoff dudes show and then they act like scared of it. Whoa! Oh my god! Yeah, and like, oh, it's crazy. Fucked up. Can't believe this is a kids thing. That really happened. Um, but uh, I, I've seen bits here and there. But this is the first time watching the whole thing through. And yes, um, were you taken by surprise by how weird the rest of it was? Besides just that. Yeah, it kind of was because everyone had told me that oh, there's one good part of this movie, and it's the mysterious stranger bit. And while that is by far the weirdest part, the rest of it is pretty odd as well. Um, yeah. I wouldn't even um, agree that there's only one good part, too. The rest of it has a lot to recommend it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's actually, um, it's it's fairly entertaining, uh, despite it being about Mark Twain. Uh, because <laughs> I, because here's the thing with Mark Twain, right? Uh, as As a character, because he does appear in, not just this, but but in a lot of things. Like sometimes Mark Twain will appear in character as a character in various media, and we've kind of decided as a society that Mark Twain's personality is that he says things that don't make sense, and then everybody laughs. You know, like like he'll yeah, stand because up. we're just 
squeezing his actual quotes into things where nobody would actually say that. Yeah, exactly. So he'll like get up and just be like, ah, oh, town with bunnies like a mule with a spinning wheel. And <laughs> then then there's like, okay, look, have everyone in the audience just like laugh their asses off so that people know this is a joke and that it's not just Mark Twain having a stroke. Um, <laughs> yeah, man, it's like this is like that uh uh, that underground comic that was like making fun of Lenny Bruce, where there was a guy who who made his fortune just by going up, going up and saying baby talk bad words like potty, fanny, booby, weenie thing. Anyone for dog poop? <laughs> it's true, though. I mean, you know, the same idea. They're basically taking like, oh, um, you know, the idea of Mark Twain. And, and I don't know if this is is this flanderization, as the kids would say, I guess. Uh, uh, I don't know. Well, I mean. When was the last time anyone got to talk to him? Was he ever even filmed? Not in uh, sound he era. He died in 1910, so probably not. Yeah. Um, the I think the uh, whenever I think of Mark Twain now, I always think of if you recall those uh, Star Trek edits that were going around the web uh, a few years ago, where because uh, there is a Star Trek: The Next Generation episode where they meet Mark Twain, and he he basically is like that, where he's all. He's saying witticisms and everyone's like, oh, it's so droll, Mr. Twain. But in the edit, they just have him like making noises. Like, <laughs> so, so now that's how I, I always think of Mark Twain. Yeah, I actually used him as a character in my webcomic briefly. Not uh, he was not part of the of the major storyline of uh, Tangled Yarn. But uh, in the science fiction story Crusader Apollo, he had a holographic representation of his ship's computer who had decided it wanted to be Mark Twain. <laughs> nice. Yes. And he didn't quote Mark Twain ever. So he was just mostly just showed deep disdain for the guy who he was flying around. <laughs> Actually, you know, I, I think my, I take back what I just said about that Star Trek thing. I think my favorite Mark Twain ever was uh, when I was back in school, uh, they showed us like a biography of Lincoln and it was, you know, one of those like really cheapo film strips that they made in the 70s. And it was all about, oh, you know, yeah. where it's like guy it's just like a terrible like stovepipe hat made out of construction paper or something. And, <laughs> and I just remember at the very end, Mark Twain appears he's like, and that's the story of Lincoln. And then it's like, why is Mark Twain in this? I mean, wait, he died in 1910. Uh, there's 70. He was 75. So that means he was born in 1855 or no, 1845. I guess he would have been alive during Lincoln's time, but he would have been a, would have been a boy at the, at, the, at Lincoln's death. I mean, I guess he was, he, 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 he could have, there's some, I guess they, they sort of crossed paths in the sense that they were alive at the same time. But I, I, you know, it's one of those things where look, Mark Twain is old timey. Lincoln is old timey. It's pretty, pretty much all the same. Yeah. Anyway, what a, it's, hey, like, it's public school. They were like, what? What do they? What do kids care? Yeah. Speaking of Transformers, I have a, a comic which posits what would have happened if they'd woken up like a hundred years earlier, and uh, so the Autobots get to meet uh, Mark Twain and Jules Verne and John Henry. Hmm. Wait, in fact, have... one of them. Is the hammer that John Henry has to raise? Oh, is uh, the Inky Poo one of the Decepticons? Uh, no, it's Bumblebee. Wait, what? I thought. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean the thing he fights against. Yes, it's Bumblebee. 
So he fights Bumblebee, but Bumblebee's a good guy. Yes, but then they become friends. Yes. Oh, it's, it's complicated. Okay. okay. Oh, yeah. okay. There's a lot of lore here. My my knowledge of the Transformers is uh, pretty much just. I know three things about them. I know that there's some dinosaur shaped ones. I know that mm-hmm. Starscream thinks that his coronation is bad comedy, and I know <laughs> that sometimes they're girls. Like that sometimes one, there's girls, yeah. Sometimes they're people in costumes and they're like wear, just wearing like robot bikinis, like that <laughs> photo I saw today. Ah, uh, um, uh, yes. I, I introduced Mike to uh, Transformers Master Force today, which is an anime in which a group of teen teens uh, acquire these bracelets that allow them to turn into the heads of their cars and may, and merge with them to be Transformers. Turbo Teen is back, baby. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, uh, cartoons. Anyway, so cartoons, Mark Twain. Yes. Um, so Mark Twain. Yeah. First off, we get the the crawl to tell us the whole story, and a lot of uh, the dialogue from this crawl gets used later in the movie. Yeah. So apparently, Mark Twain was born when Halo's comet came, and then he died when it came back, and yes. that was the inspiration for this movie. Uh huh. He they they quote him as saying. You know, the Almighty must have looked at us and said, there go those two unaccountable freaks. They came in together. They must go out together. Okay. Does that mean that's that's a weird theology? That's like, okay, everyone who was born in the same year must die in the same year. (laughs) Well, I guess Mark Twain had had his own personal uh, gnosis. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he was not exactly what you would call a Christian, as the the as Captain Stormfield's visit to heaven proves. Yeah. Um, now this this so this special you can tell it's 1985 because it does that thing that a lot of that that almost any any media in those days that was originally based on a book did where it starts off by showing you the book and the book opens yeah. up and we go into the book and it's like, ah, now I know I'm about to be educated. I'm going to have well, my I mean, mind expanded. I mean, to be fair, that was what almost all animated movies did. That was what they did at the beginning of snow white, the beginning of Robin hood, the beginning of the sword in the stone. It was just a thing. Yeah, it was just a thing. But yeah, this particular book is resting in a cozy study inside a spaceship that's going by. It's very meta because, yeah, then we go into the story and the spaceship is also in the story. Yes. And the book opens and floods the entire study, transforming everything in it, turning an inkwell into a stump, turning a pen into a trout and turning the whole thing into 1910 Missouri. Yeah. Um, well, like you said, Claymation is really the star of this. And you can see that Will Vinton, he really wanted to show off what he could do with it. Um, yes, this was the height of his powers before when Claymation was still a big deal for everyone and CGI was not yet replacing it. Yeah, because uh, that's the thing. In this one, uh, I noticed more, even more so than in Claymation Christmas Celebration or the California Raisins, there's a lot of attention paid to facial expressions. Uh, they they really there's a lot of nuance in characters' faces, which is pretty impressive considering they're all just clay. Yeah, I was going to remark on that. Looking at you know, you have a lot of shots that are just like looking at how the kids are reacting to things, and they make these incredibly subtle movements. Like you know, I'm thinking of the scene where the three kids are in the bunks while Mark Twain is playing the organ, and they all just 
there's this terrible silence and they're all, you know, eyes are all flickering between each other, but they don't say anything. Yeah. That, that was really impressive. And I wondered how much of that was based, you know, based on, you know, going to Africa to see the lions. If they had some actual kids playing this out. That's, that's a good point. I mean, they, they really, you know, there's a lot of very subtle, um, you know, like wrinkles around mouths and, uh, just uh, eye movements. Uh, you can even see it looks like they they wanted they made the eyes look wet in certain scenes. Yeah. Um, the only that was thing, really impressive. Yeah. The the thing about it that is a little weird is because they are so detailed. It's like these children because it's Tom Tom Finn. No, sorry, Huck Finn, Tom Sawyer, and Becky Thatcher. It's like they it's like ah these three children who all each look about fifty years old because they have such <laughs> detailed lined faces. Yeah. I was going to say that Tom and Hook look more like my idea of hobbits. Yes. They do have very large feet. Yes. And Tom, especially, he's got this cur- the curly hair that I always imagined when I read The Hobbit. Yeah, no, you're right. He does. Huck, I feel like if this movie had come out uh, today, uh, he would have a Wensler-esque following around him. He is He is hot for a kid. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, they would be... Um... Oh my God! Yeah, there's but there's no, there's no one to pair him with because in no. this movie, so they would they would have to have a uh, they'd have to be like Tom one and Tom two or something. No, they'd turn Homer into a girl. Oh, there you go. Make make uh, Homer into an anthro an anthro an amphibian. Yeah. Also, also the first thing we see him doing is smoking a corncob pipe, which is weird because how old is he? But whatever. But. Not only is he smoking this corncob pipe, but Huck always talks in this really stoned voice. Yeah, he's uh, he's he's got some uh, uh, I don't know what they would smoke in the eighteen sixties. Um, eighteen sixties dank nugs. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh wait, no, he'd be he'd be um he'd be pulling he'd be pulling a uh, Fitzjames O'Brien and just uh, smoking <laughs> the opium there. <laughs> he's whitewashing the fence. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we open with Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn and Huckleberry Finn's pet frog, Homer, who I don't know was, if it was ever in a book and they're hanging out on a raft and Tom is complaining that the world is getting too civilized. And he's saying, you know, there's no, there's no way for a man to make a name for himself. There's no wars breaking out. <laughs> Uh, he, in 1910, he says this. Oh, just wait, Tom. You'll <laughs> you'll like World War One. Yeah, I guess that's kind of that's his arc. Is that he's really interested in uh, achieving symbolic immortality, which I guess is to contrast him with um, Mark Twain, who is seeking to end his life in this. Who is yeah, who's grown this... weary of le- living. Yeah, that that is kind of a weird. Uh, they don't really underline it too much but uh this is a suicide mission for uh mark twain in a lot of ways yeah but well i guess they do because the kids don't want to come along with them yeah i mean they they it's 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 um it's stated but uh it's not underlined in a way i feel like a lot of kids might have sort of missed the implication until the very i know end. i did when i was a kid yeah yeah, I didn't. I didn't feel like he was dying. I felt like he was doing the thing he did at the end, which is not precisely dying, but it's it's definitely not going back to Earth as a normal person. <laughs> he he does a he pulls David the gnome sort of thing at the end. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but 
But yeah, I mean, so now... Is, I mean, is... I think this is... Because Twain was, I guess, got very um, uh, crotchety and depressed later in life um, after the death of his wife and two of his kids, which, you know, would, would put a damper on uh, yes. most people, I think. And plus just the regular indignities of aging. So, mm-hmm. um, and I, and th- this, this movie, it, it kind of touches on that. It doesn't mention he's sad without um, Olivia, but it doesn't, it, it's very quick. I think, again, if you're not paying attention, it's easy to miss. So, yeah, I, I feel like a lot of that comes across in the stories as opposed to the wraparound. Yeah, yeah. Um, there is there's a very strong sense of melancholy in the choice of stories in this. Mm-hmm. They're I, all kind of about death, except yeah. for the uh, except for the jumping frog. <laughs> well, that's the uh, that's the sweet at the beginning to lull you into a false sense of security because you're like, oh yeah, it's gonna be a fun you know uh, uh, adventure. We're gonna have some like Mark Twainy style like twangy fun where everybody talks funny and says y'all and we're in Missouri, you know, but then, yeah. Like, and there's nope. going to be lots of Jews harp. Or... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, Oh, everyone's, everyone's a prospector with a big old mustache, but, uh, <laughs> Oh boy, the mustaches in this movie. If you like mustaches, this is the movie for you. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you, yeah, you're like mustaches. Let me tell you, we are in for it's Mark Twain's wild mustache ride. <laughs> This movie is Willy Wonka for mustache fetishists. Yeah. <laughs> Think of all the kids who watch this and then like just grew up to be like obsessed with mustache inflation. <laughs> or mustache and the best thing of, Yeah, the best thing... What, turning into a mustache? Yeah, that's how it works. Yeah, you know, normal thing. I, I know I have seen that happen in at least a, there might be giants video, but I can't think of anywhere else. Well, yeah, so. obviously the, they might be giant. The giants watched this, this movie and we're like, Oh, we got to put that in a video. It's so hot. <laughs> Just call me captain storm along. <laughs> okay. So while they're, while they're talking about how there's nothing, nothing left to do, uh, Huck brings up the fact that there's something weird going on in St. Louis and Becky Thatcher is there. And that's, that gets Tom all excited to, uh, I guess he rose them to St. Louis and uh, they, and they end up at a big launching site where, where uh, Mark Twain is giving a speech to a crowd and Becky, Becky Thatcher finds them. I don't yeah. really know anything about Becky Thatcher. Uh, she's like uh, a girl in one of either Tom. In this movie? <laughs> yeah, she's in either Tom Finn or Huck. Sorry, Tom. Tom, Tom Finn or Huck. <laughs> Huck. She's either in Tom, Tom of Finland or <laughs> Huckle B. Jones, Huckle Barry Hound. Um, she's in one of those books. And uh, my impression of her, again, never having read them. But but through cultural osmosis, I always got the impression that she was kind of like Margaret and Dennis the Menace, where she, you know she had the big frilly dress, which she would be like, "Well, Lord sakes, Tom Finn," you know. But <laughs> in, in this, she's a little more, um, a, a little less prissy. She's got overalls. Yeah, I think you, I think you got hit the nail on the head there. I, that's what I, that's the impression I got of her from this movie, at least. But from other things, I've. I think I got the idea that in her in the actual text she was more of kind of his kind of Tom Tom Sawyer's little redheaded girl that he could never touch. But oh, okay, huh, interesting. Maybe not. 
I don't know. Like, I, we got to read some Mark Twain after this. Well, it's good that we're doing a podcast with, without actually having done any research into the topic we're talking about. Well, that's our thing. Well, it's good. It's a good thing we're so charismatic, so people will forgive us. <laughs> now, this is where I, I smile at the camera and my teeth glint. Ding. <laughs> I just do that, do the, the wink. <laughs> So, anyway, yeah, uh, yeah, so here at the thing, uh, I noticed that people talk over each other a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of kind of rhubarb, rhubarb stuff going on in this. Yeah, I'm wondering if this movie was back scripted, if they just said, okay, have a conversation about this. Hmm. Um, I mean, it could be. I feel like it's the sort of thing that. You, I feel like Will Vincent was probably like, look, we, we were going to pull out all the stops. I want all the background conversation to be like real conversation. Yeah, you definitely hear that. You hear uh, I, you hear that in like the, the shouts of the crowd at the frog race and things like that. So, yeah, I just I wonder how much of his how much dialogue they recorded and they were just like, put it all in. Who knows when we're going to get get to make another movie? Yeah, um, it, it does give it a certain. um uh, overstuffed feel. I yeah, think. it's a little cacophonous sometimes, but yeah. you know, it doesn't. The, there are times when it slows down and gets quiet. Now, so I appreciate that. It's not a constant headache. Yeah, um, but then I think uh, so. Tom Finn and uh, sorry, Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer stow away in Mark Twain's balloon. Mark Twain. Yeah, is all just like, to impress her. Yeah, and and Mark Twain is doing a thing where the crowd's like, "Where are you going?" That crazy contraption and mark twain's like i'm gonna fly a man's gotta fly into the sun and burn up and die and they're like okay <laughs> or, or sorry mark twain something like a man's like a three-tailed cat sometimes he's gotta go on a suicide mission or a comet and everyone in the crowd's <laughs> like okay Ooh. <laughs> they, they, yeah. they'll, they'll laugh because it's it's mark twain like oh that mark twain he's he's so funny Let's talk about the balloon itself. It's a pretty wild design. Yeah, it's it's definitely it's a the contrabulous contraption of Mark Twain. Um, yeah. It's it's like a bunch it, of balloons, kind of. It's like a it's like a blimp with a boat on it, kind of. And, yeah, it's uh, a, it's simultaneously a steamboat and a blimp. And there's like a and, lot of sorry, there's a lot of stuff on it that obviously is just. You know, it, it it doesn't do anything. It's obviously just gim crackery for visual flair, like that weird worm thing that keeps jumping in and out of holes on the back. Yeah, what is that? That's really iconic, but I don't know what it's supposed to be. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, just I don't I, I don't know like inflatable kind of flange type technology in this uh, on this boat blimp too, because yeah, and the would... manipulator that you work by squeezing it. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense it is a giant dirigible so yeah okay uh, a lot of there should be a lot of gas themed things on this um also it's got that weird kind of transporter thing that is like a like a blank slate just slab. yeah there's an elevator that you just walk right through its door and it's and it takes them to the different levels on the uh, on the ship however it can also take you to the text of any Mark Twain story. Yeah. Wow. This is, you know what? This is like Gumby the Next Generation. Yeah, that's true. I was actually thinking that. It was a lot like Gumby. Um, I thought it was interesting because I was kind of like, at first I was like, oh, 
this is probably like a, a cost-cutting measure because they don't have to show people going in and out of elevators. But then I realized, no, this is actually more complicated because they've got to show people gradually appearing and disappearing as they step through this thing, you know? Yeah. So I don't, I don't know what they were, what they were necessarily going for, but I, I, I just love the excited voice of the uh, narrator. Welcome yeah. to the mysterious stranger. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of it was Will Vinton was just showboating with this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the movie is a big ad for claymation. So. Yeah. Well, you know what? Maybe that was his thing. He was like, look, once I make this, everyone is claymation will be on the mat. Everyone is going to be banging on our door to try and get a claymation thing made. And um, uh, I don't know if this is pre-California or post. No, this is 85. Was, this was, yeah. This was so right it was pre, pre-California Raisins, I think. Okay, so maybe this is what got him the California Raisins gig. Yes, which, maybe as it, I've oh, mentioned before, was a was a great ad for claymation and not so much for raisins themselves. Yeah. Maybe it also got him the most important gig of all, that little cartoon about ammonites that they show at the Smithsonian in Washington. <laughs> oh, I was thinking the the claymation scenes from Moonwalker. Oh, yeah, that's actually more people probably saw that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, but anyway, so they're on this blimp. Uh, there's another guy on the blimp, too. There's a mysterious yes. guy in the background, you know. Yes. He is not the titular mysterious stranger, but he's definitely mysterious and a stranger. And yeah. we don't really learn who he is till the very end. But he definitely has has an effect on the story. Yeah. And yeah, kind of he intru- lurking he's kind of hanging behind them. Yeah. Yeah. He's behind the elevator when it comes up. And then when it goes back down, he's gone. So yeah. I guess he entered through the other end. Oh, yeah, it makes sense. Um, and then, uh, I, what else? Oh, so they're so, on this blimp. Yeah. The high voltage thing? Yeah. And he, they're on the blimp, and uh, Mark Twain well, is not surprised to see stowaways. He seems to have expected them. I guess that makes sense, He's since he's their creator, and they don't seem to know that. And he's weirdly uh, affectionate toward uh, Becky Thatcher saying that she reminds him so much of his wife, a combination of innocence and sand. What? (laughs) Well, we know one thing's for sure. Mark Twain is not Darth Vader. What what is, what, what is, um, what is sand? I mean, is it like the stuff on the beach? Is that what he's saying? Does it mean something? (laughs) I don't know. I, I was like, innocence and sand? I mean, it's Mark Twain, so I'm sure it was very funny when he wrote it, you know? Yeah. That's that's definitely an example of uh, him saying random things and people laughing. He's just, he's just like, oh, Becky, Becky Thatcher, you're so pretty. You remind me of corn going right through a possum. Uh. <laughs> uh, that, and that you have to introduce him to Homer, too. And that's that... Uh, that uh, gets him talking about his story about the jumping frog, which, as he points out, uh, was one of the worst stories he ever wrote, but uh, he hadn't worked a day in his life since. Well, I guess people back then really loved it. I, I mean, the story itself makes it clear that people were hard up for entertainment. Yeah, well, um, yeah, I mean, people were... Uh, I There was I... nothing to do so except bet on random frogs yeah 
Well, it does remind me because like I was recently reading a, a, a story that apparently caused quite a stir around uh, the same time uh, mm. as, as Mark Twain was just getting his start. Uh, a story that appeared in uh, the San, a San Francisco newspaper and had the entire state just at the edge of its seat. It was uh, an early science fiction story where a guy invents a formula that makes water explode. <laughs> Ice Tim. Yeah. And people were like, is that real? Can that happen? Oh, shit. I need water. <laughs> um, but anyway, so. But yeah, people, I'm reminded, people... of course, of the uh, of the uh, War of the Worlds panic. Yeah. You know, I mean, I guess it's, you know, scientism was in its infancy. So they were like, well, yeah, that sounds legit. That could happen. That could be real. Um, but anyways, sorry, I'm getting, um, I'm getting distracted. This is a very useless yeah. digression because I don't remember the name of the story. So. Oh, this, oh the story is the, oh, oh, you meant that one. That you were oh, the exploding water okay. story. Well, okay. the Calaveras one is the jumping frog of Calaveras. Yeah, the celebrated exploding water. Of, yeah, yeah is, that's is pretty that much how it goes. Is that how it goes? Yeah, the only thing that he left out was that there was a wraparound in the story about how Mark Twain himself heard this from some guy who was always telling outrageous lies. Huh. That seems like yeah. a very unnecessary wraparound. I think it uh it, I think it was to uh get the the joke at the end which is that the guy just segues right into another story about how uh, Smiley had this afflicted cow with only three legs and a stump for a tail. <laughs> and the guy, and that was where I said, oh, forget Smiley and his afflicted cow. I'm out of here. Well, I guess Mark Twain was like, oh, I don't know how to end this thing. Uh, all right, yeah. here we go. Suddenly everyone was hit by a truck. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the story of the jumping frog, if you don't know, involves a, a habitual better named Jim Smiley who uh, gets it into his head to train a frog to uh, j jump higher than any other frog and uh, bet other people that his frog can outjump theirs, which is, you know, why would anyone take that bet? It's like, well, you must know something about this frog. Then, then I'm not going to take that bet. Yeah, seriously. It's like, it was like, well, it's like, ah, well, I, I bet my frog is better. So, well, apparently One, people... I don't have a yeah, well, I like the it's part not like where people go around carrying a frog. Yeah, well, my favorite part is where the guy, where the guy's like, "Well, I bet you, but I don't have a frog." And Smiley's like, "I'll get you a frog." And it's like, dude, this contest is clearly rigged. But <laughs> it, it is it is funny because that that uh, prospector ends up getting one over on old Smiley, who thinks who thinks he's getting one over on the prospector. So that's that's the twist. Yes, uh, in the story, it was made clear that he fed the frog a couple of guns worth of uh, shot from a, from a shotgun. <laughs> but really? in this, they took it way further. Just He just fed the frog everything in sight from uh, a pan of bacon and eggs to an old barrel. Well, you know, they really, uh, really lard this, um, this special up with visual gags, which is, which is kind of cool. I mean, it's, it's climation. You want to, you want to look. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they really take full advantage of the medium. But and uh, oh yes, Homer himself gets to star in this story as the frog, which is a little weird because they put him down on a map and then he shrinks right down to the star that mar that marks Calaveras. Yeah, 
at the end, and just, then then he yeah. expands again, and you're like, "Whoa, what's happening?" Yeah, and on all the and all the the micro macro furries are like, "Oh, very interesting." <laughs> oh, so tell me more about uh, you know Huckleberry Finn and his uh, amphibious girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, Huckleberry Finn. <laughs> but. After this, we have what do we have next? Oops. Uh, they, they kind of, I think they wander around on the ship a lot and and kind of. Uh, well, there's there's Adam and Eve. Is that the next bit? Yeah, that is the next bit. Oh, but uh, yeah, yeah. They first they uh, first they uh, play a little around with the uh, elevator and they and uh, Tom almost gets his head cut off by <clears throat> Joe. Oh my God! Yeah, they're, the way they draw, they depict Injun Joe in this is yeah. pretty, pretty frightening. He's got like fucking like toothpick teeth or something. Yeah, he really looks like a serial killer, which is you know appropriate because the story is you know he is not supposed to be a redeemable good guy. He is a bad guy, and the story makes it pretty clear that it's because he has native blood. Oh well. Well, yeah, <clears throat> very problematic. Twain yeah. it well, Twain was a man yeah. of his time. Yeah, he's it is what it is. Definitely, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff in Twain that is kind of like, oh boy. Hmm. Um, yes. But I remember. When meanwhile, we... you know, meanwhile, uh, Huck, Huck's friend Jim is portrayed very richly with a with an inner life and a lot of uh, moral decisions, both on his own to make and for and for Huck. So, I mean, it's just that kind of, you know, tunnel vision blindness like this. This is a person, not that, but this. Yeah. Yeah. Um so they so there is a bit with Injun Joe, and then I think, uh, do yeah, but then they they see there's a statue of Adam and Eve, and Becky is all like, oh wow, look at that. Um, oh, they're naked. They're naked. Well, you find it very interesting, and uh, Mark Twain tells some joke. He's all like, ah, oh, naked people have very little influence in society. It's like, yeah, okay. I mean, that's I guess that's true. Um. <laughs> And then he's like, I've got their diary of Adam and Eve right here. And, <clears throat> and <coughs> excuse me, the, uh, they're the back Adam in and... that, uh, this is when, when this is happening, they're back in that cozy little den from the beginning of the movie. So the movie, so that book recreated the whole world, including itself. Dude, <laughs> it's, it's mind uh... blown. It's very last visible dog. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, this whole sequence is actually the Adam and Eve sequence is pretty interesting. Some of the visual choices that they make in it because oh, yeah, um, it it's not. Ex I mean, it's not exactly because because you've seen Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve in so many adaptations like every you know, I think I've seen I went to Sunday school. I've seen about a bazillion of these things and this one, first of all, I guess they got around the whole like naked thing by just having them wear like little swim trunks. Yes. Uh, at one point we see when Eve is going around naming things, she hangs a sign on it saying birthday suit. Wink, wink. Yeah. Um, that was pretty clever, actually. That was good. It was good. Um, I actually liked in the beginning when they're like when when I guess God is creating the world. And yeah, that this... is like the best part. Yeah, it's a you very see cool the firmament thing. being built over the space. Yeah, 
that is very cool. Um, I also kind of like the voice that they use for God because I love God in this one. He's like, yeah. mm -hmm. "Oh, this is nice." Mm -hmm. Wait, wait, what am I doing? Hang on. Uh, there, there. Okay, good. Yeah, it's great. It's a great. He sounds like uh, the the Jim Davis God in uh, Garfield's Nine Lives. <laughs> And I think that there are major theological implications for God making the apple tree and then going, oops. Oh. What did he mean to do? That is that is actually kind of interesting. Um, and well, well, you know what? Wouldn't you say that, like, that makes God more relatable? Yes, this is <laughs> that... a very... It's a very human God. In fact, he's the only real human we see in the movie because... When he taps Adam awake, it's an actual human hand. Oh, interesting. Well, you know, th there are there are levels going on here because when you, when you say that 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 makes sense, because when you think about it, Adam and Eve as claymation people are literally made by a human, so they're God yeah. really a human. In fact, what's clay? It's dirt. What was Adam made from? Dude, dude, <laughs> mind. Wow blown just blowing the lid off of things here um but uh of course they weren't actually clay they're plasticine oh really but, oh yeah which is i think a uh i i think it's some sort of uh petroleum substance so hmm. they're made out of dinosaurs whoa oh my god Adam just, and Eve made out of dinosaurs. Wow. So you might say it's like it's like a process of evolution, man. <laughs> you um, start with the T-Rex and then you get the Archaeopteryx and then you get the chicken and then you get the T-Rex shaped nugget. Wow. Even in even in the false uh, form, there's a there's a germ of the true form. <laughs> uh but um yeah so basically what happens is adam is like he's he's in paradise and it's pretty sweet because he can do whatever the fuck he wants like going over a waterfall in a barrel yes in the the text of the story makes it clear that uh the garden of eden is in fact uh niagara falls huh well you know um probably a place that mark twain would you know, be like, ah, yes, that's, yeah, okay, why not? Martin Niagara Falls is nice. Um, yeah. Uh, but then, uh, what's her, then Eve shows up and just ruins <laughs> everything. Sorry? <laughs> well, just you called Eve What's-Her-Face. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was like, I, I can't, what's her name? You know, that, <laughs> that dumb bitch just shows up. Ugh, ruins everything. Yeah, and she turns him into a reptilian carrot made of bricks for a moment. That was weird. That was that was kind of funny though, where she's like, where they meet, and she's trying to uh, trying to describe what Adam looks like because she's never seen a man before, and he's like, it, it has no hips and it tapers like a carrot. You know, trying to I guess describe the masculine form. And yes, they actually I do think show it might be architecture. <laughs> yeah, because when when she's saying this and claymation being a visual medium actually shows Adam turning into a carrot and a brick wall uh, to show, I guess, Eve's point of view. Anyway, um, she she starts naming things and uh, just just being a nuisance, you know, how women yeah. are. And Adam is trying to name things like he tries to name one animal the wharf. Yeah. It turns out it's a mammoth. <laughs> uh, he, was, he was on the right track. Yeah. But, 
Yeah, but anyway, so so there's this big thing where she like Eve is all she wants to name things, and Adam's like, oh, this is a big hassle, and then she doesn't want him going over the waterfall either. So, I just women, am I right? Yeah, it's am I right? It's sort of. It really is a sort of, you know, men are from Mars, women are from Venus thing, because Adam was made for this world where there is no death. And and Eve is all like, well, we kind of need death because the meat eaters are kind are really having a hard time with the grass. And and if there weren't death, then you would just keep going over the falls over and over again. Yeah. Though, again, uh, I don't I assume the whole thing about uh, needing meat for the meat eaters was in the original story. Um Yes, but, it was. But it it does fit in nicely with that with God's with God's oops. The fact that yeah. he was like, "Oh yeah, I made this world and oh shit, I made meat eaters without meat." Yeah, <laughs> well, whatever. And so then the then the snake shows up and the snake is not quite Satan itself. Uh, they they really they kind of half and halfed it because it's a sort of demonic snake, but it's not you know it doesn't seem to be specifically trying to trick her because yeah. the mediating animals are helping her too because they <laughs> right. Um, I guess the question is like uh, I believe there are there there are interpretations of the Bible where it is literally just a snake without being satanic. yes. That's always been my pref- preference, but yeah. sometimes it's Satan, sometimes it's Lilith, which is interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, again, women. Um, but uh, this snake is—he's uh, got sunglasses and he's—he ha- carries a little match in his mouth, so he's—he's he's a real <laughs> badass. He's pretty cool. <laughs> and and of course, things start going wrong immediately. And Adam is trying to escape from the Garden of Eden because he sees bad things happening, and the fall of Eden is almost as cool as its creation. Yeah. Um, I like how everything just starts suddenly eating each other. Yeah, the animals all become monsters, and the unicorn that Adam is riding on, he gets off of it for a second, and it gets eaten by a dinosaur. Yeah. One bite. Uh, And while this is happening, it's getting busier outside the story, and that's a little jarring to be reminded, oh yeah, this isn't about Adam and Eve, it's about uh, Mark Twain. Uh, That's right, because there's like a storm going on that they have to deal with. Yeah, there's a storm going on and it blows them into the like the wrong part of the earth because they're not in space just yet. They're actually headed for a site where the comet is going to pass the most closely to Earth, uh, which turns out to be uh, right near the uh, the Sphinx. But yeah, along the way, they have to pass by a bunch of things. They go by Big Ben and they're during this sequence, the kids the kids try to man the helm and uh, they make a big mess of it because uh, Becky doesn't know port from starboard. Do you know port from starboard? Uh, nope. Okay. I'm pretty sure port is left and starboard is right, but uh, I might be wrong. Hmm. I uh, am not a sailor. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, and then Mark Twain is all like, you guys suck. And it's like, they're just stowaways. Cabbages. You were, you, it's like Mark Twain. You were planning to do this whole trip by yourself. So you're lucky to have any help. Yeah. Well, what maybe he jerk. wasn't. Maybe he maybe he wrote it in that they would join him. Oh, all I right. don't know how this worked. Oh, are we in the book? What's happening? Here? That's true. Okay. All right. Oh, you say maybe Mark Mark Twain wrote it in because he is actually the uh, the, the the god who fucks up from uh, the Adam <laughs> Eve story. Oops. What am I doing here? 
<laughs> so yeah, the the balloon gets damaged, and they have to drop a bunch of ballast. And uh, he, and this is where the kids get deeply depressed over ha- having failed him. And although Twain seems you know cheerful as he's steering, then he joins them in the elevator, and he seems deeply depressed. And he's not, and he's even changed clothes. And well, yeah, yeah. Well, this was. Uh... This was our our mysterious stranger, wasn't it? Yes. Not, not well, the mysterious stranger, but I mean, this is our our. I, is it? Should we are we giving it away if we say who this guy not is? Not really, because I mean, he takes us to the mysterious stranger. Remember? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this this is the the Poe dop dot po, Sorry, the Twain doppelganger. Because yes. I mean, because the thing is, like, I know that like technically we as the audience don't know that yet, but you can kind of tell from the first time you see him because he's got a mustache. That's so yes. big you can see it from the back. So it's like, oh yeah, there's a, a Twain doppelganger on this. Uh, this yeah, barge. there are there are two Twains in this. Yeah, and it's it's a good question. Who's who? Which what does this represent? Yeah, it's uh, it's a little confusing. It's kind of a uh, it seems to be kind of a uh, you know uh, Star Trek uh, good Kirk bad Kirk type deal. Um, yeah. Uh, although it just seems like one of the one of the twains is more depressed than the other, I think. Though they're both kind of downers, to be honest. Yeah. So I might I have two theories. One is that this represents the fact that Twain himself uh, ha- suffered from bipolar disorder, hmm. and which is not a proven fact, but we know he suffered uh, massive massive mood swings and depression, especially after the death of his wife. Yeah, yeah. My other theory is that the one in white is Mark Twain and the one in black is Samuel Clemens. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I could I could see either one of those yeah. theories actually holding water. You know, the version of himself that he projects versus who he actually is. Yeah, that does make sense because it is the one in white that does all the folksy you know, sayings that people like clap and laugh at. And uh, the other one is just morose and sad yeah. and having writer's block all the time. <laughs> I think the writer's block one was yet another. So how many Twains are in this? Oh my God. I'm, I'm seeing double four Twains. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so this the, the depression Twain um, shows us uh, like because he pulls the lever on the thing that takes you to various Twain works. And this is when we meet the mysterious stranger who is the... Um, the bit that everyone on the internet knows about because yes, if you haven't seen it, this is a scene where the three kids who now, you know, are in fact, Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn and Becky and Becky Thatcher find themselves on this floating asteroid with an armored figure whose face is a masquerade mask held up by a by a stick who introduces himself as Satan. Now the, the text makes it clear that he isn't the real Satan. He's Satan's nephew, but his name is still Satan. Well, you want to keep a name like that in the family, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they remark on it in the text that, uh, you know, that's a strange name for an angel. He said, it's a wonderful name. We're proud of our family name. Only one of us ever sinned. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's I like- mean... Can you say that about your family? No. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of the argument where it's like, what? Adolf is a perfect name. There's only one, one bad one. It's like, yeah, I mean, you got me there. 
I mean, why wouldn't you want to be named Kermit? All the other kids will love it. <laughs> Was there an evil Kermit? No, I'm just saying that uh, since the name is so, you know, ir- un- inextricable from Kermit the Frog now, no one gets named Kermit anymore because now it means a frog. Oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I thought you meant to. Well, there is an evil Kermit, isn't there? Oh, yeah. Constantine. Yeah, yeah that's right. The most dangerous frog in the world. There, there are not too many kids are named Constantine either. Because they're like, oh, well, good. probably for other reasons, though. Well, I don't know. Maybe in Greece. I don't know. <laughs> so, but. yeah, the kids meet this strange angel who uh, treats them to all the fruit they want. And then they start to play a game where it where the angel builds a town and has them build clay people to, to inhabit it, whom the angel brings to life. So it's a sort of mirror of what's going on in the making of this movie. They're bringing clay figures to life. Also, yeah, kind of a parallel of our Adam and Eve story a little earlier as well. So, So, yeah, there's a lot of uh, recurring themes in this and that, you know, it's it's made with clay and in a lot of ways it's about clay. Yeah, but uh, this mysterious stranger... um, is, is an uncaring god to these clay people and immediately gets annoyed with the noises they make and starts uh, tormenting them and destroying their 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 crops and their castles and killing them all. Um, and um, the kids are kind of aghast, but uh, the mysterious stranger's all like, yeah, it doesn't matter. They don't mean anything. Yeah. We can just make he more. Says, yeah, um, I can do no wrong. I am not, I'm not evil. This is just how the world is. I mean, he's not wrong. Earthquakes are not sent to hurt people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, it's. I guess this was. Um, this is from uh, from Twain's Twain's more cynical stage later in life, yes. I believe. Because this is one that didn't get published till after he died. I think he he tried several times to kind of uh, tackle this topic, and apparently it took him a while to get it like anything he wanted. Yeah, yeah there's multiple ber- versions of it, and the one that was uh, finally published has a lot of edits made to it by an anonymous editor, so it's not really all his work, but it is still regarded as part of his canon after his death, at least. How, how uh, close is it to what we see here? Uh, at the, the whole scene with the uh, clay figures, this all happens. Oh. Uh, but... Uh, but the actual story takes place in 1590 in Germany. Huh. And yeah, but, and there is a scene that has always stuck with me where Satan tells, tells these three boys that it is, uh, that he's befriended that uh, one of their friends is going to, is going to drown soon. And they're like, well, well, we've got to stop him. We've got to keep him away from the water. And they, and Satan's like, well, you can do that, but if he lives, his life will be even worse. And people, and his, and he will, he'll die soon anyway. And so will his sister in that version. So the boys make up their mind to, you know, just enjoy their last week with their friend. And you know, they give him their toys and they spend all their time with him. And and it says later in life. When they thought back on their lost friend, it was this this week, the one the one where they had no thoughts for themselves, but only to spend the time with him that they remembered him the best. So, yeah, it's deep. Man, oh, what a downer. Thanks a lot, Mark yeah. Twain. Just bringing me down. Yeah. 
And also, I think it's interesting that Satan speaks in two simultaneous voices, one male and one female. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Yes, it's a it's a very distinctive voice. There's a lot of very distinctive voices in this movie. Yeah, it, it is very distinctive. I didn't realize, I didn't catch on that it was actually like I thought they just put reverb on the voice, but you know what? Gender fluid Satan is valid. So yes, that's good. <laughs> oh yes, and because the the mask that Satan is wearing changes alternately between male, female, Mark Twain himself, and a, and a hideous grinning demon skull. Yes, um, uh, he's got a cigar. Yeah, and at one point, and so they flee and end up in a area which end up back in the elevator, which then move announces, uh, "Welcome to the damned human race." Now that's a that seems pretty memeable to me. I don't know about you. Did they? Uh, this is where they go in, and it's just the the, the writer's block, dude, isn't it? No, that was his notebook. Oh, that was so later what was on. the damned human race? I don't even remember what happened. They, they didn't go in. into the damned human race. Oh, okay. That was, oh, that was where uh, that was where Samuel Clemens uh, comes in with from them, from wherever it was. Oh, and briefly, Tom ends up back in his own story, and he flees because they're going to make him whitewash the fence again. <laughs> he doesn't. See, they don't seem to really be catching on that they can go anywhere from here. Yeah, I mean, uh, Becky seems kind of annoyed. They they want to go home, so Becky's kind of annoyed that Tom doesn't take them home. But he's all like, "Oh no, Aunt Polly's gonna make us do work, so let's let's not do that. Let's let's yeah. break." I think they decide instead they're going to like break the 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 blimp somehow. Like, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna fuck it up, and then um, that'll force. They decide to yeah, they're gonna hijack the balloon and force Twain to land. And, yeah. hey, here we are at the hour mark. This is a good place to break. Oh, yeah. Well, tune in next week for more Mark Twain. Mark Twain. Mark Twain.